Okay, quiz time. It's a verse, a passage of scripture going along with that song. Matthew 1. Okay. Huh? Micah 5 2 talks about Bethlehem, Ephrata, though thou be least among the cities of Judah, I think it says, out of thee shall come forth he that is from old. <clears throat> so why was he called a Nazarene? Huh? Because he grew up in Nazareth. How did he get to Nazareth? So, so you, he got, went to get away from Herod to Egypt, and then they come back to Nazareth because Herod's son, I think, was now on the throne, so they didn't go back to Bethlehem for fear of him. That's why the Pharisees thought he was from Nazareth, that he thought he was born in Nazareth. You know, but they're supposed to, the ones that are supposed to study the scriptures and search these things out. Other people knew he was born in Bethlehem. Why didn't they? Anyway, yeah. Galatians chapter 6. Galatians chapter 6. And I'm going to read verses 11 through verse 18. Galatians 6 says, You see how large a letter I have written unto you with mine hand, mine own hand, as many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only lest they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised, they may glory in your flesh. But God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. And as many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them, and mercy, and upon the Israel of God. From henceforth let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. Brethren, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Amen. I just titled this simply, Pleasing God or Man. Pleasing God or man. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the opportunity we have to open your word this afternoon. Uh, we thank you for uh, the privilege we have to assemble together and the health of one, each one to be here. And we pray that you continue to give health and wellness and help everyone recover the sicknesses. Thank you, Father, for uh, the opportunity we have to, uh, again, study your word. Help us to uh, show ourselves approved unto God, a workman who need not to be ashamed. So help us, to Father, encourage our hearts. We do pray in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> I want to notice several things out of this passage. We consider pleasing God or man. Uh, you know, Paul was, he said, I, I, I've crucified under the world uh, the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. So we're not to consider what the world thinks or live to please the world. We are here to be a witness and a testimony to the world. And obviously, if you're going to testify to the world of something, you have something 
that the world needs to hear. Something that's different, something that's new to them. Uh, not that they maybe never heard it before, but something they do not have. But anyway, first of all, notice the fallacy of situation ethics. In verses 12 and 13, he says, As many as desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised, only that they should suffer persecution for the cross of Christ. For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised to make glory in your flesh. You know, this, this church was, well, it's actually an area. Galatia is a region and there were several churches, wrote to the churches of Galatia. So Galatia is a region, sort of like a county, maybe you could compare it to. But anyway, these churches, if you look in chapter 1, were, were departing from the truth. They were being troubled by those who would pervert the gospel. And these were Jews who were saying, you know, well, yeah, you need to accept Christ, but you also need to keep the law, and you also need to be circumcised, and you, know, you do all these things that are customs of the law. And Paul said... Uh, no, uh, he said in verse uh, 8, chapter 1, But though we an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be a curse. And as we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that which you have received, let him be accursed. And of course, he compares the law or circumcision to Hagar. And in this book, in chapter 4, uh, he compares the law and circumcision to Hagar, bondage. The law speaks of bondage. The law brings us into bondage to death. It's Christ that delivers us from bondage. And he compares that to Sarah and Isaac being born of a free woman. Hagar was a servant, a slave. And so Hag- uh, uh, Ishmael was born into servitude, Isaac was born a free man. And so uh, th- that's the background of this book. And, and so these, these are the uh, people who are troubling you. And Paul, Paul says, look, they, they, are, they are using a situation ethics kind of doctrine. That word situation ethics really means the doctrine of flexibility. Flexibility and application of moral laws according to circumstances. So, so we can, we can, we can uh, uh, you know, Flex the law to, sit, to suit our situation. And, and this is really what the Jews did or were encouraging Christians to do because Judaism was a recognized religion by the Romans. Therefore, they escaped persecution. However, Christianity was not recognized. And so this is the, this is the thing that they find themselves in. And... And, and, and so, you know, he says they, they're, they're, this is what they're doing. Uh, one man said this, quote, It is obvious that this was to please men because they, even themselves, did not keep the law. If you notice in verse 13, For neither they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, desire to have you circumcised, they may glory in your, fre- in your flesh. Uh, uh, you know, there, there's nothing wrong with a Gentile being circumcised. There's nothing wrong with that. However, there's everything wrong with compelling a Gentile to be circumcised, saying he could not be right with God unless he was. That is wrong. Because Paul says circumcision is nothing. It's a cheerful. 
And, and so this was a situation they find him in. So it was being it was being pushed to avoid being persecuted, you know, to to gain acceptance from friends and associates, Jews. Again, verse verses eleven through thirteen. He's, uh, verse 12 and 13, as many desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you to be circumcised only lest they should suffer persecution. That word constrain is, again, important part here. They were compelling or saying you need this or you can't be right with God if you don't have it. That's the wrong part. There's nothing wrong with a circumcision. Nothing wrong with a Gentile being circumcised, even to this day. In fact, I think it's a good thing. But anyway... Um, but it is wrong to compel them to say you cannot be saved if you're not circumcised, and that's what the Judaizers are saying. So they, this was used to gain acceptance from friends or associates, particularly the Jews, who claimed to be Christian. And Paul called these, in Galatians chapter 2 and verse 4, he called them false brethren. And notice in, verse, in chapter 2, verse 1, Then fourteen years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also, and I went up by revelation, communicated unto them that gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run, or had run in vain. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, or that is a Gentile, was compelled to be circumcised. And that because a false brethren unawares brought in, who came in privately to spy our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage. So, he says, you know, Titus, we didn't, Titus was not circumcised. Paul never circumcised Titus. Now, you might ask the question, why did he circumcise Timothy? And that is a legitimate question. Well, Timothy was Jewish. He had a Jewish mother. And therefore, since he had Jewish ancestry, Timothy could go in the synagogue. but not if he's not circumcised. And what was Paul's manner of giving the gospel? He became all men, to all, all things to all men, and his manner was, whenever in every city, he preached the gospel to the Jew first, and he would go to the synagogue. And because he was a Jew of Jews, he was allowed in the synagogue. Timothy, being of Jewish ancestry, would be allowed in the synagogue if he was circumcised. Therefore, Paul circumcised Timothy to give him further opportunity of ministry. However, Titus is another animal, not an animal, but another man, another situation. Don't matter if he's circumcised or not, he isn't going into the synagogue. He's not Jewish. Therefore, Paul did not compel him to be circumcised. So this was all about gaining exception, and Paul calls them false brethren. And, you know, we, we must not, and of course it was also part to gain acceptance with the world. Uh, he, he says here again in verse uh, thir- 13, For they themselves who are circumcised keep the law, but desire to have you circumcised and make glory in your flesh. Uh, in Acts 28:22, the Bible says this, We desire to hear of thee what thou thinkest. This is the Romans saying to Paul, or I think it might have been Agrippa or, um, or, one, or Felix or one of those. Anyway, what do I think? For as concerning this sect, we know that everywhere it is spoken against. Now, Morris said this in his commentary, quote, To advocate circumcision was to line a, the new movement with Judaism, a religion that had official Roman sanctification, sanction, therefore one that avoided persecution. The preachers Paul was opposing may have included the cross in their proclamation, but by adding the necessity of circumcision 
they avoided persecution. Unquote. So this was an effort on the part of the Jews and to encourage the Christians to or compel them, or compel the Gentiles to circumcision to, to make them, if you will, Jewish to avoid persecution. Paul calls it a fair show in the flesh. Uh, it's making, it's make, they were making themselves acceptable to others. And really, making ourselves acceptable to others is pleasing self. It's to make a fair show in the flesh. That's what verse 12 means when it says, As many desire to make a fair show in the flesh, they constrain you uh, to be circumcised. So these want to make a show. They want to please themselves. They want to glory in their flesh. And, and we're not to live to please others. Uh, we're not to compare ourselves among ourselves. Second Corinthians ten twelve says, When we do that, we are not wise. And somebody has said, if, you know, living to, to please people will leave you frustrated, distraught, mistrusted, and hated. And somebody else said, quote, if you go about trying to please everyone, there's going to be endless, endless struggles. Unquote. And so, this is a fallacy of situation ethics. It just creates endless struggles. And again, confusion. Secondly, we need a fullness. What we need is the fullness of the crucified life. In verses 14 and 15, it says, God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me, and I unto the world. For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. A new creature. Uh, Charles Spurgeon said, quote, what did he mean, however, by the cross? Of course, he cared nothing for the particular piece of wood to which those blessed hands and feet were nailed, but that was mere materialism and has perished out of mind. He means the glorious doctrine of justification, free justification through the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. You know, when the Bible speaks of the cross, it's not talking about a wooden cross, a piece of wood. It's talking about what was done there on the cross. Uh, what was done there, and that was where Christ. And so the cross signifies for us, it means that we are dead to self-will. In chapter 2 and verse 20. Excuse me, chapter 2 and verse 20. It says, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live. <coughs> Excuse me. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me, and gave himself for me. So he, so he says, I am under an authority. I am no longer my own. I live, but yet not I. Christ lives in me. I am not having anyone rule over me. Really, he's saying, I'm not having anyone else rule over me, but the Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, it means dead to the world or friends, and they have no control in my life. First John 2.15 says, Love not the world, neither things in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Colossians 2.20 Wherefore, if you be dead with Christ, from the rudiments, that word rudiment means principles of the world, why as though living in the world are you subject to ordinances? 
And in Colossians 3, 1 through 4, If ye then, you might say, since ye are, risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things of the earth, for ye are dead. You reckon the old man dead. Ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ and God. And when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him. So, when we speak about the fullness of the crucified life, we're speaking of, that means we're dead to the world. That the world no longer has control over us. It means I have only one master, the Lord Jesus Christ. In John thirteen thirteen, Jesus said, You call me master and Lord, and you say, Well, for so I am. You know, he is the Lord. And as Lord, he gives commands. As we heard this morning, they're really orders. They're not suggestions. They're orders. We're his servants. You know, Paul over and over again would say, the servant of the Lord Jesus Christ. The servant. And that word, that really, that word servant really means a slave by choice. It wasn't something that he was forced into. We're not forced into servitude to God. It's something we willingly surrender ourselves to when we repent of our sin. We're faith and trust in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. So we, we're to have one Lord. You know, do you ever have two bosses that don't agree? I worked for a company for a short while. And, and the straw that broke the camel's back was they'd hired a secretary before I started working there that was very bossy, that seemed to think that she had authority like a vice president or something. And, and so I go to this place to do this job, and the place, the owner of the place is arguing with me about the price for the job, and I said, no, this is supposed to be the price, and, and so on and so forth. Well, he says, you know, you, you need to call, call so-and-so. I said, no, I'm not calling so-and-so. Well, he, he got his, found his, he dug around in his desk, and he found his phone number of the vice president and called him, who was the one that arranged for these jobs, these pickups. And he talked to him a while, and, and then he, he asked to put me on the phone, so I got on the phone, and he, and he allowed him to pay a cheaper price. So I, I did it. I did the job for a cheaper price. But then I get a call from this secretary, you know, chewing me up one, down, one side and down the other about I was not to do this. And I said, well, I don't care what so-and-so said. This is what it's supposed to be. And, uh, and I said to the vice president, you need to get your acts together. I'm not working for a company with two heads that don't agree. You know. Uh, no, we have one Lord. And if you exalt yourself, you're going to be in an argument. If, if you are exalting yourself and not denying yourself, uh, you will have a, 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 in your own life this uh, create your own monster of two bosses. Matthew 23, 8 says, be, be ye not called rabbi, for one is your master, even Christ, and all ye are brethren. Neither be ye called masters, for one is your master, even Christ, Matthew 23, 10. Uh, you know, we don't have to concern or worry ourselves with what the world or the world's friends thinks. We're to simply follow the Lord. Trapp said this, quote, The world and I are well agreed. The world cares not a pin for me, and I care as little for the world. Unquote. 
Spurgeon said, quote, To live to serve men is one thing. To live to bless them is another. And this we will do. God helping us, making sacrifices for their good. But to fear men, to ask their leave to think, to ask their instructions as to what we shall speak and how we shall say it, that is a baseness we cannot brook. By the grace of God, we have not so degraded ourselves and never shall. Unquote. Oh, we are to live, to bless, be a blessing to the world. And we ought to be willing to make sacrifices to be a blessing to the world. But we not to ask instructions of the world. Our instructions don't come from the world. They're not our Lord. They're not giving us our orders. They come from the Lord. And so, uh, we need to deny the world. Then I want you to notice the third thing. The fairness of God's rule. Verse 16. As many as walk according to this rule, peace be on them and mercy upon the Israel of God. Now, this is not like a government rule, but, but it's, it's compared, this word rule here speaks of a measuring rule. Now, every... I've bought various measuring tapes at Lowe's and other places over the years. And what I've found out is an inch is the same. It don't matter whether it's a Craftsman, a Lufkin, or a Cobalt, or a, what's that kind I have? I can't remember. There's all different kinds of measuring tapes. But you know what? An inch is an inch. And a foot is a foot. It's 12 inches. And um, a yard is a yard. They're all the same. And that's the comparison he's making here to God's rule. It's always the same. It's always the same. Uh, it speaks of a carpenter or surveyor's line by which a direction is taken. And so there is a rule through Christian life revealed by God's word. And we don't make it up just as we go along. It's already made. It's already determined. It's already set. And we are to measure ourselves according to this rule. Uh, and, you know, some of this is heard this morning, but, you know, this rule is the same for everyone. You know, the world talks about equity. They don't even know what equity is. You know, equity is supposed to be fairness. Well, there's no fairness in real life. In a world of sin, there is no such thing as fairness. You know, I used to tell my kids, kids would say, that's not fair. Welcome to real life. That's the way life is. Welcome to it. Uh, Get over it and keep going. No. But with the Lord, there is. There's equity. There's fairness. Verse 15 says, For in Christ Jesus neither circumcision availeth anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. Salvation is a new creature in Christ. It's not about whether you get circumcised or whether you don't. Whether you're a Jew or whether you're a Gentile, it doesn't matter. There's equity here. Um, Romans 1.16 says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for the power of God unto salvation to everyone, everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. Romans 2.6, 
It says he's going to render to every man according to his deeds. No one's going to get off. No one's going to escape the rendering of their, uh, the judgment of their deeds for God. And Romans 2.11 says there's no respect of persons with God. <coughs> no favorites. And Romans 3.10 says that is written there is none righteous. No, no one. Yeah, we're, we're all in the same boat. We all start out in the same place. Sinners. Before a holy and righteous God. You know, only God can change it through the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 3.22 says, Even the righteousness of God, which is by the faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, or there is no difference. It doesn't matter whether you're Jew, Gentile, whether you're a white person, a black person, an Oriental person, a Latino person, or whatever, whatever uh, you claim, it's, it's the same. For all have sinned, verse 23, and come short of the glory of God. And of course, Colossians 3.25 says there's no respect of persons with God. So, we see this fairness. The rule is the same for everyone. The second thing we see about this rule is it never changes. You know, again, I've been doing carpentry for <coughs> 30 some years. I've been using tapes longer than that. Uh, we did some carpentry at home too, but you know, and again, the inch hasn't changed. And the foot hasn't changed. You know, if I went back and 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 picked up a piece of board that I had cut 30 years ago that was a foot long and compared it with a board I cut today that was a foot long, they'd be the same. Except for the width of the saw blade or my mistake in cutting it. I pride myself in making pretty straight cuts. But anyway, you know, it, it would be the same. A foot's still a foot. Nothing has changed. The rule never changes. You know, did you ever play a game and have the rules changed as you go? You know, that you learn the rules of the game only later someone to have a different interpretation of those rules and change them on you? That's, that's irritating, right? That's irritating. It's also confusing. Did you ever try to play a game without rules? You know, we, when I was a kid, we would play, sometimes we'd play football or, or softball or something like that, and we'd kind of make up rules as we went because of the number of people we had. But, you know, it was always a little bit confusing. No, but our rules, the rules or the laws of God never change because we serve an immutable God. God does not change. Matthew 3, or not Matthew, Malachi 3, 6 says, For I am the Lord, I change not. I change not. Therefore ye sons of God, Jacob are not consumed. Hebrews 13, 8 says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know, we can rest in the fact that our Lord, our God, will never change. He will never say to you, oh, I'm sorry, I changed the, path, the way of salvation. Yours is no good now. Huh? No. It's never going to change. There needs to be repentance toward God and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's never going to change. Uh, 
And, you know, and God gave promise in Hebrews chapter 6, verses 13 through 20, <coughs> to Abraham. When God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swore by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. So after he had patiently endured, he obtained the promise. For men verily by the greater, and an oath, men verily swear by the greater, and an oath for confirmation is, is to them an end of all strife. Uh, that dis, that's a deciding factor. Wherein God willing more abundantly to show unto the heirs of promise the immutability of his counsel confirmed it by an oath. That by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, which entereth into that within the veil. Whether the forerunner is for us entered, even Jesus made an high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So, God promised, you know, he made a promise to Abraham and he promised it with an oath. Unto thee I will give this land, and he that blesseth thee I will bless, and he that curseth thee I will curse. Many a people have tried to destroy Israel, only to be destroyed. Israel is in sin to this day, but they are still God's people. They still have a purpose, and there will be promises that will be fulfilled to them as yet. And so, so God made promise, and of course that blessing was fulfilled to us in Christ. Uh, and he says, to the Israel of God. You know, these, these, these promises are kept by the power of God. The Israel God, Prince of God. Power with God, the one who had power with God. And then also... The, so the, the rules never change, and the measuring rule never changes. The Word of God will never change. You know, Psalm 12, 6 and 7 says, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. Thou shalt <coughs> excuse me, keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. So God promised to preserve His Word forever. In fact, in Psalm 105, verse 8, it says this, He remembereth, he hath remembered his covenant forever, the word which he commanded to a thousand generations. Now, most people say a generation is 40 years. Multiply 40 times a thousand. What do you have? 40,000 years. The earth isn't even that old. The world's at best six, ten thousand years old, according to real scientists. Now, you get evolutionists that will say it's older than that, but that's a whole other subject. But, but anyway, the point is, God promised to preserve His word for a thousand generations. Psalm 119, verse 160 says, Thy word is true from the beginning, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Matthew 24, 35, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. John 10, 35, If he called them gods, unto whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken. Jesus said the scriptures cannot be broken. They cannot be changed. They cannot be altered. 
God promised to preserve His words. And we are commanded in the Great Commission to teach and observe all things under the end of the world. How can we do that if we don't have His words? If we don't have His instructions? See, we have, we have a measuring standard that Peter says we do well to take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark day. Yeah, we're living in a dark world, a world that's confused, a world that doesn't have any conclusive answers, doesn't know what truth is, Many of them don't want to know what truth is. Well, we have the truth. The truth is not going to change. And we need to determine in this world that we need to live to please God. Live to please God. And not to be uh, seduced by the philosophies of this present world. You know, we should live to please God. And I, I think this is not original with me, but I have this written down. We should live to please God, and we will have the praise of them that matter. Live to please God, and we will have the praise of Him, of them that matter. Pleasing God or man, we need to live to please God. Please our Lord, and to follow the truth.